Listener Production. In the first week of May in 2021, a firm that you've probably never heard of, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, better known by its initials TSMC, it committed to building some new chip plants. Actually, a lot of new chip plants. They'd already decided to build some new chip plants in their home base of Taiwan. And the U.S. government had talked them into building one plant in Arizona. That announcement came in May of 2020, as the U.S. recognized it needed to have as much chip manufacturing as possible on its own soil. This new announcement, though, it completely reset that. Because instead of building one semiconductor manufacturing plant, and keep in mind, each of these plants will cost at least $10 billion to build. TSMC has let it be known that they're building up to five more in Arizona. Six plants, $60 billion in investment. And while I'm not sure, that feels like it would be close to the largest ever industrial investment in history. And all of it from a company you've probably never heard of. Why? Because, unexpectedly, TSMC have become the best chip makers the world has ever seen, even passing the previous masters of the art form, chip-making giant Intel. And this is the story of why Intel dropped the ball and how that gave TSMC an opportunity to score. G'day, Mark Pesci here. The coming next billion seconds are the most important in history because everything is getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Everything is getting connected, getting intelligent, and getting capable. The root of those capabilities comes from integrated circuits, chips. They've become indispensable to nearly everything we make. And almost overnight, they've become one of the most important elements in the global economy. So this isn't a story about chips. This is a story about how chips came to run the world. A story we call geopolitics. In 2003, I packed up everything I owned in America. I put a lot of it in storage. I gave a lot of it away. Just a tiny amount I packed into suitcases and brought with me to Australia. But one of the things I packed, it took up almost a whole suitcase, was a brand new PC I'd bought just before moving, something I'd built myself and featuring Intel's latest and greatest microprocessor, the Pentium 4. Released in 2002, the Pentium 4, or P4, featured over 100 million transistors. Now, that is a far cry from the 30,000 or so in the very first version of that chip, the Intel 8086, released back in 1978 and destined to become the heart of countless millions of PCs. But Intel had bet its fortunes on Moore's Law, a prediction made back in 1965 by Intel co-founder Gordon Moore that every year or so you'd be able to squeeze twice as many transistors on the same piece of silicon. And year after year after year, Moore's Law delivered. 
30,000 transistors grew to 100,000, then a million, and 10 million, and 25 years later, 100 million. And as transistors got smaller, they also got faster. A computer that might be doing a million calculations a second in 1985 could well be doing a billion calculations a second 20 years later. That's what happens when you throw more transistors into an integrated circuit. You can do more and more and more. For more than 35 years, and that's over a billion seconds, for more than 35 years, it looked as though Moore's Law would continue indefinitely into the future. But here's the thing. All of those transistors may be getting smaller and smaller and smaller and faster and faster and faster, but each of them at heart is still a valve opening and closing to an electrical current. And every time a transistor switches open or shut, it generates a little bit of heat. Now, that is not an issue when there are 20 transistors on an integrated circuit or even 2,000 transistors. But when there are 100 million transistors all switching on and off a billion times a second, that little bit of heat really starts to add up. Intel's microprocessors began to generate a lot of heat, and the faster they went, the more times a second they would switch open and shut, and the more heat they generate. Now, back in 2003, I didn't really think about any of this, but I did see it up close because that computer I'd bought over from America, it began to turn off. For no apparent reason, it would just shut down, and most of the time I couldn't turn it back on, at least not immediately. I'd have to wait 10 or 15 minutes. I had no idea what was going on. Was my computer broken? Had the software somehow caused it to crash? No, neither of those were true. And it turns out I wasn't the only person seeing that problem. Lots of folks were all over the world. Intel had designed the Pentium 4 to push the limits of Moore's Law, both in terms of number of transistors and the speed of those transistors. And that meant the chip ran hot. So hot that if it was doing something particularly intensive for more than a short period of time, the protection circuits within the chip would shut it off to prevent it from destroying itself. That Pentium 4 could get so hot, well above 100 degrees, that without this protection circuit, it would quite literally cook itself to death. Intel had hit the wall. For nearly 40 years, semiconductor designers had been able to add more transistors and run them at ever greater speeds. And suddenly the road had run out. Every increase in speed created more heat. And now those speeds had pushed the chip beyond its limits. Intel and all of the rest of the semiconductor industry, they learned from that. Now, it's been almost 20 years since Intel introduced that Pentium 4. And in all of that time, chips haven't gotten a lot faster. At best, they'll go about twice as fast as they did 20 years ago. But most chips, they'll only do that for a brief moment because as soon as they start going fast, they'll generate lots of heat. So they'll do that for a few seconds and then back off and cool down before they take another sprint. Now, that Pentium 4 overheating problem it didn't bring an end to Moore's Law. Instead of running chips faster and faster and faster, chip designers created chips with multiple processors in them. If you couldn't do things faster, they reasoned, why not do several things simultaneously? So Moore's Law continued 
unabated for a while. When we return, we'll learn why Moore's Law came to an end. Integrated circuits have been designed in more or less the same way for more than 60 years. The chips designers create a drawing of the circuit and turn that drawing into a mask. It's a sort of photographic negative that's projected onto a piece of silicon. Really nasty chemicals that are spread on top of the silicon, they cause it to dissolve away where the light is shining and remain in place where it doesn't. And with every generation of semiconductors, the details in those drawings... They're known as feature sizes. They get smaller and smaller and smaller. In the beginning, it was easy to see those features with your eye. And then as they got smaller, maybe you'd have to use a magnifying glass and eventually a microscope. And then, well, what happens when features are so small that you can no longer see them even with a microscope? And that's what happened back around the same time Intel created the Pentium 4. The features on a chip got so small, well... Let me give it to you in numbers. On the Pentium 4, a transistor could be created that was only 180 billionths of a meter. That's 180 nanometers in size. And the problem here is that light, which also has a size because light is a wave. Light is no longer visible to us under 330 nanometers. So the transistors are smaller than light waves, so you couldn't see them. And not only that, how could you shine light on a piece of silicon to etch out those transistors when the transistors are smaller than the light? Now, for a while, there were some cheats. You could take multiple beams of light and you could fuse them together to create a tighter beam. And that did work for a while. But Moore's Law is chugging along, and every generation of semiconductors is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and feature sizes go from 180 nanometers to 130 nanometers to 90 nanometers to 65 nanometers, and this is about where all of the cheats start to run out. And all of those cheats, they cost a lot of money. Mo cheats, mo money. After the turn of the millennium, the cost of a semiconductor manufacturing plant underwent this kind of reverse Moore's Law. The cost of a plant began to double with every new generation of chips. So that a plant that cost half a billion dollars would be followed up by a plant that cost a billion, followed by a plant that cost two billion, then four billion. And, well, we're now at the point where a new plant costs 10 to 12 billion dollars. And, Intel wasn't alone in investing these huge sums in semiconductor manufacturing, but as it got more and more and more expensive, a lot of companies started to ask themselves whether it was really worth the investment. Wouldn't it be a better use of resources, they asked, to simply hand the chip designs to a manufacturer to make those chips for us? A manufacturer who was prepared to absorb the enormous costs of building a semiconductor plant. And back at the start of the 2010s, this is before the costs had grown completely astronomic, there were a range of top-of-the-line places where you could get your chips made. Intel, Intel only made chips for themselves. They made a lot of chips. They, you couldn't take your design to Intel. They didn't want it. Samsung, on the other hand, that's the South Korean industrial giant, they would make chips for you, as would IBM or Toshiba or this little firm from Taiwan, TSMC. Now, 
TSMC is not a new company. They've been around for almost 35 years. They got started because they saw an opportunity to manufacture chips that had been designed by other firms. Just give us your designs, they said. We will make them for you. And it was a good business. TSMC grew and grew and grew. Now, there were always a lot of competitors for that business, lots of places that you could get your chips made to order. But as the business of making cutting-edge chips grew increasingly expensive, there were only a few manufacturers prepared to absorb the costs and the risks to keep pace with Moore's Law. Even Intel, even the firm that built its reputation and its product line around Moore's Law, it had to slow its own pace down. After the Pentium 4, they said, okay, we're going to continue to make smaller and smaller transistors, sure, but there's a lot of work involved. So instead of doing that doubling every year or so, we're going to stretch things out. We'll do a doubling of transistors, and then we're going to spend another year tuning everything so that it runs better. And then we'll do another doubling, followed by another tuning. And Intel called this their tick-talk model. With a tick, they'd go to smaller transistors. With a talk, they'd make those transistors work better. So customers got better chips every year. They didn't really care. It gave Intel some breathing room because those chip plants were continuing to get more expensive and more sophisticated, and it took longer to refine those new chip plants than ever before. And it was taking more and more work to get returns out of Moore's Law. It all worked well enough until 2015. This was when Intel produced its latest tick with transistors that were only 14 nanometers in size. Now, to give you a sense of how small that is, a single atom of silicon, that's about a nanometer wide, which means that these transistors are only 14 atoms wide. And that, that is absolutely mind-blowing. And Intel promised that their next feature size, 10 nanometers, that would be following along in 2017. In the meantime, in 2016, they produced a refinement, a talk. And then in 2017, well, Intel announced that their 10 nanometer process had been delayed just a bit. So instead, they said, we're going to do another refinement, another talk. And then the same thing happened again in 2018. And although I watched in person as the CEO of Intel publicly demonstrated a chip made from 10 nanometer transistors at the Consumer Electronics Show in January of 2019, the same thing happened in 2019. And it looked as though Intel, the company that had always been able to deliver on the promise of Moore's Law, had stopped delivering. And although shocking, that's actually hardly surprising because all of those cheats to get smaller and smaller and smaller transistors, those had already stopped working. You couldn't manufacture semiconductors in the way that you used to be able to just by shining a light through a mask at a piece of silicon because transistors were now far, far smaller than a beam of light. So first they went to ultraviolet light and that worked, but it's much harder to use ultraviolet light than visible light. And that ran out too, and the transistors kept on getting smaller. So they moved to what they call today extreme ultraviolet, EUV. But really, really, that's a bit of a naming mistake because these light waves are so short, they're actually closer to 
x-rays than ultraviolet light. That is not surprising because remember, these transistors are now just a few atoms in size. And if you want to take a photo of an atom, you do not use visible light. You don't use ultraviolet light. You use x-rays. And working with x-rays is hard because you can't just beam an x-ray through a lens to focus it. An x-ray isn't affected by a glass lens. It just goes right through it. You have to use magnetic fields to bend x-rays. And right there, that is cutting edge physics. It's at the limit of what we know how to do. And yet, that's how we're making chips today, by pushing the limits of our understanding of the physical world. It's expensive, and more importantly, it's an experiment. And because it's an experiment, sometimes it fails. And really, that's what happened at Intel. They did some experiments that they thought would get them to 10 nanometer transistors, and those experiments didn't pan out. So they had to back up and start again, which they did, and they got there in the end. But something that should have happened in 2017, it didn't happen until 2020. Intel missed a beat. And into that gap, well, that's where TSMC comes in because the Taiwanese chip firm, they had been tracking Intel step-by-step, feature size by feature size. Anything Intel could do for itself, TSMC could do for its customers. Customers like Apple and advanced micro devices, they're Intel's biggest competitor for microprocessors. And suddenly the chips from advanced micro devices, they looked better than competing chips from Intel all because TSMC was able to manufacture them at a size that Intel hadn't yet been able to master. And that changed the balance of power in the multi-trillion dollar IT industry. Because while Intel's chips still make their way into a lot of PCs, even more of them now go into the vast cloud computing centers created by Google and Facebook and Amazon and lots of other firms. And those cloud computing firms, they're always looking for the best, most powerful, and most power-efficient chips. After decades of trusting Intel to be best in class, they suddenly saw advanced micro-devices come from behind and start to eat a fair bit of Intel's business. Not to worry, Intel said to its customers and its investors, sure. We were a bit delayed with our 10 nanometer transistors, but we're well on track with our next generation 7 nanometer transistors. And this is where the wheels fell off Intel's cart. Because in a sudden, unexpected announcement that sent shockwaves through the entire technology sector, in the middle of July 2020, Intel announced the firing of their chief engineering officer. He was the person charged with getting Intel back on track, getting those seven nanometer transistors made on time for customers. And he failed. And that cost him his job. And a few months later, Intel CEO Brian Krasanich announced he would be stepping down as well. Now, not much more than a month later, Apple launched its iPhone 12 with a processor manufactured by TSMC with 7 nanometer transistors. And in the next few months, there were more product announcements from advanced micro devices, from NVIDIA, from Sony and Microsoft. All of them were sporting new chips that were built either by TSMC or the other company left standing, Samsung. Intel couldn't get a look in. 
They couldn't even make their own ships as small as their customers needed. And it's this moment that will be remembered. From the very beginning of the integrated circuit industry, Intel had set the pace. They were the leaders everyone else followed behind. Then Intel stumbled. First, the competitors caught up. And then Intel stumbled again, and the competitors leapt past. What that means for Intel, for TSMC, and for the whole of the world That's the topic for our final episode of Geopolitics. The Next Billion Seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production by Darcy Thompson. If you like this show, please hit the subscribe button. If you know someone who might like it too, share it with them. For more about the topics in our show, including some links to the shocking story about Intel firing its chief engineer, visit our website at nextbillionseconds.com. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening. Listener.